Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. that you have come to join us and take in precious time out of your schedule. Today is very special. We'll be discussing A Course in Miracles. And I'd like to begin with uh, stating that there is a song made popular in the 60s by a doo-wop group called The Crew Cuts that declares, Shaboom, shaboom, life is but a dream, sweetheart. Well, it appears they were on to something because when A Course in Miracles was ultimately published, Jesus confirmed this romantic notion. So today we'll interpret chapter 27, section 8 in the text, entitled The Hero of the Dream. So who is the hero of your dream? Who comes to rescue you from your nightmares? As we move through this section, we'll come to realize that life on Earth is a series of illusions that are the direct effects of our thinking on a causal level, playing out in front of us, drawing a variety of reactions, from pleasure to despair and everywhere in between. Often, we find reason to smile as we behold a particular aspect of the life we've created, such as our children or a loved one. Other times, we recoil in horror and look to the future with utter dread, powerless under the weight of our suffering. But please be comforted to know that when a nightmare is upon you, salvation is possible with one simple, sincere statement. I choose forgiveness. Robert Rosenthal, M.D., joins me as special guest co-host in our monthly segment on the course to break down and interpret the concepts presented in a down-to-earth dialogue. With today's section, we'll get a glimpse of what it means to be in the world, but not of it. Affectionately known as Dr. Bob, my co-host was a close personal friend of Dr. Bill Thetford, co-scribe of the course, and has served on the Board of Directors for the Foundation for Inner Peace since 1992. Please join me in welcoming my marvelous co-host back to the show. I do hope you're doing well, Dr. Bob. Thank you. Yes, uh, a little bit crazy uh, spring cleaning and all of that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Char? I- I'm doing great. I really uh, am. Glad to hear that. Yeah, I feel good. I really do. So, yeah, I had opportunity today to listen to that song and kind of tap my toes to it. It's a really cute song, and the way it says, life is but a dream. It's it's pretty because cool. The section we're doing today is the hero of the dream, and, and, and as like long as we're talking about songs that um, reference dreams, I, I have to point out the all-time classic "Row, Row, Row Your Boat," um, <gasps> which is a uh, totally nails it um, because oh you can row your boat gently down the stream with the flow, in which case uh, your life goes merrily, 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 because it's just a dream. 
I was actually giving um, a talk at the Miracle Distribution Center's conference, I guess it was a couple years ago, and Beverly Hutchinson McNeff did a lovely discourse on row, row, row your boat, taking each line, having people from the audience recite it. I mean, row, row, row your boat is is, is mystical truth. Rumi could have written that poem. <laughs> oh, that is magical. It is genius. That's so funny. I didn't even think yes. of it. That's yes. great. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. well, shout out to Beverly. Hi, Beverly. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Okay. Well, it's a it's a pretty uh, sizable chapter. It's a little longer than the one we did last month, uh, but we have plenty of time. We won't get cut off um, as long as your schedule Yay. permits. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I figure let's just you know run through it. If if it looks like we're at the one hour mark, uh, we can always just finish reading it through and make whatever points you know we feel are most salient, and we shouldn't you know we should be able to complete it. I think um, okay. because it, it, it it's I think it's this is a very appealing section of a course in miracles. A lot of people who are long term course students. Um, understandably very much enjoy this section. Uh And I think one of the reasons is it's not real obscure. It doesn't have a lot of very difficult, twisty sentences that you have to, you know, struggle to untangle and, and, and extract meaning from. Uh, it 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 it, it kind of tells it like it is. Of course, so many other sections of A Course in Miracles tell it like it is, too. In fact, at some level, they all do. But... Um, you know, what Char and I did for this segment, and I, I suspect we'll probably do for future segments, is look at two or three possibilities, uh, and from those, you know, just settle on the one that just feels right. And that's how the hero of the dream came up. So my thought is to just read, and given that the first two paragraphs are, are kind of linked, I'm thinking, you know, maybe one of us reads the first paragraph, one of us reads the second, and then we can, you know, stop and get into some commentary. Sure. Perfect. And I know my right, students great. will appreciate it because in my classes um, before I moved to Orlando, uh, that's what I did. I, I took one or two paragraphs and gave a two-hour lecture, breaking it down, <laughs> self-study exercises. We had a great time, and uh, I know a lot of them still uh, tune in. To hear, so this oh, great. this will this will make them smile because it's very close to the original format. Yeah, so, so it's a familiar and, format. Yeah, and it's, and it's very practical because we put a lot of effort into this. So let's let the book do the work for us and just have some fun. Do you want to go ahead? Sounds with the great. Do you want to go ahead? Sure. With the let me start then. <clears throat> okay. So this is chapter twenty-seven, section eight, as we said. The hero of the dream. The body is the central figure in the dreaming of the world. There is no dream without it, nor does it exist without the dream in which it acts as if it were a person to be seen and be believed. It takes the central place in every dream, which tells the story of how it was made by other bodies, born into the world outside the body, lives a little while, and dies, to be united in the dust with other bodies dying like itself. In the brief time allotted it to live, it seeks for other bodies as its friends and enemies. Its safety is its main concern. Its comfort is its guiding rule. It tries to look for pleasure and avoid the things that would be hurtful. Above all, it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart. Uh, uh, uh. Would you, you like to, to define... Paragraph two or... 
Oh, okay. You want me to just read it now? Okay, and it, then it roll, they're kind of a unit, and I think if we do that, then we can go back over it line by line or whatever Perfect. pops for us. Perfect. Okay, but, but I just just as a just to give you advance notice, I guess uh, I thought we could define dream and uh, the mechanics of actual dreaming as it correlates to the section, if that's okay with you. Okay, that works so for me. Okay, so here's paragraph two, ladies and gentlemen. The dreaming of the world takes many forms because the body seeks in many ways to prove it is autonomous and real. It puts things on itself that it has bought with little metal discs or paper strips the world proclaims as valuable and real. It works to get them doing senseless things and tosses them away for senseless things it does not need and does not even want. It hires other bodies that they may protect it and collect more senseless things that it can call its own. It looks about for special bodies that can share its dream. Sometimes it dreams it is a conqueror of bodies weaker than itself. But in some phases of the dream, it is the slave of bodies that would hurt and torture it. There we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah, in fact, you know, the, 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 the next line of paragraph three kind of caps it all up. The body's serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had. There we go. Okay. So, yeah, what's this saying? Um, you know, Life you wanted to dream. talk about dream, and I think, you know, dream will take to, to, to kind of look at, well, what is a dream? What does that mm -hmm. mean? Takes us into some very interesting places. So right. uh, that might be a very a very good place to go. Okay, well, and Especially I do this Especially given your song and Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I do this because throughout this section, dream is used over and over. However, I do notice different connotations in, in what it's pointing to in, in within the context. For instance, it's saying um, the body is the central figure in the dreaming of the world. Okay, so we're, the world is real. I'm not dreaming this. I'm awake. But um, there is no dream without it, nor does it exist without the dream. So what I want to say is that to dream, as we relate to our nighttime life, that to dream is to basically witness an illusion. And I've mentioned this on other segments in the show, but I'll, I'll repeat it briefly. Um, what I know to be true from what I witnessed and, and what I experienced is that when we're dreaming, we're not in the body, and we are standing in front of a very large projection screen. When we look at the dream we're having, most often we're rather calm. We don't bring back with us the the more pleasant dreams because they don't shock us, and that's okay. That you know we're always doing soul work at night while we're while we're sleeping. But the dreams that are the most memorable and upsetting are the ones that shock us, and they come in the form of intense dreams, and 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 they're. They contain strong emotion or nightmares, which are just terrifying. The reason that is, is because when what we're witnessing on that projection screen triggers our emotions, fear, um, and the fight-or-flight response, that's when we get really involved in a dream when we're trying to run away and, and we perceive that something's chasing us, but we don't know who it is or what they look like, but we just know we need to run. So those dreams um, provoke the flight-or-fight response, and then in the nightmare, you're just trying the best you can to survive and wake up. So that's what's really happening on a mechanical level. And um, when it comes to what we're talking about today, we, we basically want to wake ourselves up. You know, we can, we can run into our child's room when they're crying and we can reassure them and ourselves that they are indeed safe. 
But what we want to do is pull this process down and kind of lay it over our, perce- our perceptions of our waking lives so that we can understand the context of this material for today's discussion. Does that make sense? Yes, <clears throat> yes. And, um, you know, if I may, uh, you know, as a psychiatrist and psychotherapist, dreams are, are near and dear to me. I certainly am asked to interpret dreams um, every now and then. And dreaming is where, in a sense, the whole modern field of psychology started in the late 19th century when Sigmund Freud wrote The Interpretation of Dreams, which, you know, looked at from the perspective of of today's knowledge, it it seems positively primitive. His interpretations, you know, very um, basic and often missing the mark. But nonetheless, you know, what he started doing, Freud, with that book is to say, here's a product of the mind. Um, and, and, And as such, what do we make of it and what is it saying about waking life? However, when we shift to A Course in Miracles, the hero of the dream, you know, the Course is back to row, row, row your boat. The Course is saying all of life is but a dream. Now, for most of us, that doesn't seem to make sense because we might dream at night, but then we wake up. But as the Course points out, and as we all know, when we're in the middle of a dream, we rarely question it. Sure, every once in a while you can pop into a lucid dream. You can even train yourself to move into a lucid dream. Um, you know, there are books on shamanism that tell you how to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Carlos Castaneda, the shaman from the 70s, um, his mentor said, try to look at your hands in your dream, and when you do, then you'll know that you're dreaming and you can wake up. Um, I've had dreams where I suddenly realized, wait a minute, this has to be a dream. And, of course, the very next thing I think of when I know I'm in a dream is, well, if it's a dream, I think I want to fly. And then, of course, I start, you know, levitating Uh off the ground and having a very good time. Mm -hmm. But what A Course in Miracles is saying, especially in these first two paragraphs, is, yeah, we have our individual dreams, and there's kind of this collective dream of the world that we all participate in, um, and that often doesn't seem too terribly connected to what we think our individual dream is. Uh, unlike Freud, who, who thought about dreams as wish fulfillments, you know, you have a wish in the mind, and your dream gratifies it and makes it come true, or even the teachings of some of the channels like um, Seth or Abraham Hicks, where your desires produce your dreams, the Course is kind of saying it's lumping it all into one basket. You know, it doesn't matter what the, what the content of the dream is, and we'll see subsequent paragraphs get into this anymore, uh, get into this more. What it's saying is, yeah, you think you're in reality, but your reality is about as quote-unquote real as the dream you have at night is real after you wake up. It's right. not. Most of us can't even remember what we what we dreamt in the previous night. And and so the goal becomes the recognition of the dream and in course terminology to in a sense embrace the one dream that does not perpetuate more dreams and that is a dream of forgiveness, a dream of Christ's vision if you will, and by following that we finally get to wake up. And it goes further to tell us that the body is the hero of every dream. Now, this is important, because when we think of a body, 
you know, it's easy to think, well, what, what, what is the Course saying? You know, what, bodies going around uh, in, in dream time? In some respects, we could argue that the body is the antithesis of a dream. It feels very real, very substantial, very solid. If it's in pain, we sure do know it. If it's hungry or sleepy, we sure do know it. Um, and even though we have bodies in dreams, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the, dream, the dream goes away. So, so mm -hmm. excuse me there. Um, no problem. So, uh, the Course is saying you identify with your body. The most primary aspect of our sense of self is our body and our body consciousness. If someone asks you, who are you, um, you're likely to start giving descriptions of what your body has done in your lifetime and over the last several years. If you're 70 years old, your description of yourself is going to be very different than when you were 10 uh, because the body looks different. So the Course is saying the body's serial adventures, you know, the line I just read at the beginning of, of paragraph three, the body's serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had. So all of the world's inventions, every country, every era, kings, queens, paupers, peasants, you know, great adventurers and miserable beggars, knights and ladies, they're all just the body's serial adventures. Here are all the different things that can happen to bodies and that bodies can do within this great illusionary world that we live in. And the Course is lumping it all together and kind of saying that the illusion that one is better or not as good as another is a trap. At the end of paragraph one where it talks about um, – you know, the body tries to look for pleasure and avoid the things that would be hurtful. Above all, it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart. Um, mm. Several pages before this section, um, in, the section, in section six of this chapter, The Witnesses to Sin, the text tells us, you know, that the body's, that, that, um, that, uh, pain's purpose Pain's purpose is the same as pleasure, for they both are means to make the body real. Pleasure and pain are equally unreal. This is a tough one, because we are so trained to pursue pleasure and to avoid pain. I mean, you know, there's probably no more fundamental guideline for life in, in a physical body, in a physical universe than that. And yet, each one reinforces the sense that you're a body. If you're having a, a terrible bellyache or if you're getting the best massage of your life, one is extremely painful, the other is very pleasurable, both are telling you, ah, my body is, 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 is determining how I feel. Mm. Um, my wife is a sufferer from fibromyalgia and used to have a great deal of trouble with some of the sections um, from A Course in Miracles that talked about this. But I asked her fairly recently, I said, so, you know, what's your take on that now? And she said, well, you know, the body can be in pain, but am I suffering from it or not? And how am I interpreting that? And if my body's in pain, does that mean that I'm really the one suffering? Or are there other aspects to myself that, that I can choose to allow, you know, a sense of higher self, a sense of love, a sense of joy, a sense of forgiveness that doesn't necessarily make the body's pain go away, but kind of refracts it into the background. So right. I, I think these first two paragraphs, you know, 
they really do. They take the whole history of the world and every single human being who's ever lived in the world. You know, if you could write the biography of all however many billions and billions of people that would be, it's saying, yeah, you know, when you when you distill it right down, it's about safety, it's about comfort, it's about maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. It's about the body. It's about the yep. body. Totally. The uh, psychologist Abraham Maslow talked about what he called a hierarchy of needs. And that is to say, you know, what do we pursue as human beings? Well, the most basic one is survival. Survival means mm-hmm. you want to keep your body alive. And yet, as we all know, eventually, no matter how good you are at that, no matter how many, uh, you know, supplements you take or how many uh, antibiotics you have on hand or how hard you exercise, whatever, you know, magic you think will will help your body, at the end of the day, it's going to die, whether, you know, whether it's at, you know, 77 or 107, mm-hmm. doesn't really, it's going to die. Nope, when so, your number's up, it's up. When your number's up, your number's up. Yep. So when we identify with the body, you know, we're in a sense signing a death sentence. And I think this is what these first two sections of the course are saying. And it's why I, I didn't say when I read the title of the chapter, the title puts the word hero in quotes. It's not the hero of the dream. It's the quote unquote hero of the dream. Because within a dream, you know, heroes, good guys, bad guys, it's just a dream. So, um, right. yeah, other thoughts about that or yeah. um, or things that yeah, you want to add, Char? Yeah, I do I do want to add a few things. I want to um, kind of bring into focus when what we're talking about here is about the, the healing of the dream. That's, that's the formal title of the whole chapter. We're focusing on this one section, section eight. But I do mm-hmm. want to... I do want to bring into focus that when we're talking about dreams and illusion and this and that, the Course basically states that while we're here in the body, essentially we are, quote, asleep. What that means is that we're no longer in the realm, let's say heaven, uh, in the presence of God with all of the wisdom of our souls immediately accessible. When we come into the body, the wisdom of our souls the access to it is rather limited. There are ways to it, but those that's where these spiritual practices uh, come into play to access unconscious knowledge, things that we're no longer consciously aware of. So in course speak, to wake up from the dream is to be consciously aware that we have the ability to rise above this illusion and operate at soul level, and that is our goal. That's as succinct as I can make it. That's beautiful. Um, okay. You reminded me of a section from much earlier in the text, from Chapter mm-hmm. 2, the very first section in Chapter 2, that mm-hmm. says, What is seen in dreams seems to be very real, yet the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Adam, and nowhere is there reference to his waking up. The world has not yet experienced any comprehensive reawakening or rebirth. So even in the Bible, it's kind of, you know, the progenitor of, of of the human race, the archetype of all of us, yeah, you know, fell into a deep sleep, but nowhere does it say he woke up. And that that's exactly what, you know, Shara was, was just conveying. It's conscious awareness. Perfect. So so we want to, that's, that's our goal. We want to get there, and we do that through um, understanding these concepts and certainly through forgiveness. 
uh, my thoughts are complete. Would you like to move on to? Yep. Oh no, oh, no, my thoughts are not complete. What oh. I wanted to do is because the word dream is um, mentioned so many times, and like I said, it's different connotations. Um, if, ladies and gentlemen, if you have the book in front of you, if you want to take um, the second sentence in paragraph one, there is no dream without it. Substitute the word dream with the word life. Moving forward, um, the dreaming of the world takes many forms. Okay, so the the perception of the scenarios and, and the way we're going to get into cause and effect in a moment, but the form yes. that, that takes shape as a result of our perceptions, it comes in many forms. So the dreaming means the perception, and then sometimes it dreams it is a conqueror. So sometimes it views itself. There's the self-identification aspect. It dreams it is the conqueror of bodies weaker than itself. Um, but in some phases of the dream, meaning, again, your life, it is the slave of bodies that would hurt and torture it. Now, what that I feel it's pointing to is unholy relationships versus holy relationships mm. as the Course teaches. So in some phases, we have childhood, we have adolescence, we have adulthood. The phases of growth that we go through to mature on physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels all take on different aspects, but some of those darker moments of our life is when we feel that we're entrapped by something or someone or a situation and that we're in that victim mode and don't know how to get out of the self-imposed prison. So in as we go through, take a look at the word dream. Um, there's one more. It looks about for special bodies that can share its dream, and I wrote illusions, projections. We want to invite people into our story who might agree with us on most of our projections, our likes, our likes and dislikes, our hopes and fears, and our attachments. So then we want to invite a partner to go through our, illusor, our illusory perceptions with us and more, more often than not agree with us and tell us that we're right about it. So that, mm -hmm. to me, points to the dynamic of relationships across the board. That's all I wanted to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it looks about for special bodies that can share its dream. There it is, the special relationship. Yep. And and that could be a special, you know, love relationship, or that could be your ideal tennis or tiddlywinks partner. The moment specialness comes into the picture, you are making a judgment based on your past experience about what you mm -hmm. think you need, and immediately, guess who's running the show? That's the ego sitting back there. Whereas mm -hmm. Holy Spirit has a completely different game plan for you, the goal of which is to awaken, but you will not know what, what that plan is. Um, and, you know, if you get old enough, uh, like some of us are, and you look back on your life, sometimes people who you thought would have no influence whatsoever turn out to have the greatest influence. We mm. don't know. We don't know. Um, there's yep. one line in the course, one of my favorites, that says, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, some of some of what you've judged as your greatest triumphs were actually your greatest setbacks, and some of what you judge as your greatest failures were actually some of your greatest advancements. We have no idea. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and while we're on but, the subject... But you're right. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, while we're on the subject, I also want to call everybody to uh, allow something to come up in their minds, and that is of... 
whether you work in an office or not, the office gossip. The person who tries to negatively influence their environment by pulling, trying to pull you into the story that they're telling you based on their perceptions of an event or a person you know, and their judgments, what we do is we try to recruit people into be- believing and agreeing with our perceptions so that we won't feel so bad about it. But that's a, it's always an excellent example to picture the person that does that and how they're always trying to recruit you into their nonsense. I'll, I'll spare the expletives, but they want to pull you into their story and have you believe it as they tell it. When I always tell people, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see because the truth is underneath. And you should suspend judgment in all cases. For that reason. Yeah, I mean, I realize we're sort of, um, you know, riffing off topic here, but hey, that's what we're supposed to do on this show. Uh, and I was listening uh, to a lecture on Kabbalah, and without going terribly far afield, the basic idea in Kabbalah is that something about God and God's light hides itself from humankind. Of course, um, the Course in Miracles would, a Course in Miracles would say, no, God doesn't hide Himself from us. We've hidden ourselves from God under this this cloud of illusion, this cloud of unknowing. But as it be that be that as it may, Kabbalah was indicating that, you know, we've sort of locked ourselves down. You know, we're like a school under lockdown, and nothing gets in. And not only that, we've gone into a closet and locked that door, and we've turned out the lights so that God can't find us no matter what. And in Kabbalah, it's saying, you know, each person is kind of this this locked-down vessel, but because ultimately it had to come from God, there has to be light in there. And that the goal of the Kabbalah practitioner, and I would say the goal of the miracle worker, same difference, Uh is no matter what you see, no matter what you think you see, no matter what your judgments about the past tell you, to somehow find the light. In, in each being, each person that you're seeing, which means looking past the shell of personality, looking past the body. I mean, you know, we, we have the opportunity on the political stage today to look at many people who um, inspire all kinds of negative feelings. I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Trump or Hillary, um, you know, the two people with the highest negatives of, of any of the politicians. There's got to be light in both of them. It's got to be there. And our our job is is not so much to find it because we may not be able to do that, but to want to find it, to have the intention that you know what all of these blockages, this specialness, seeing them as bodies, seeing them through the lens of their past history, or or even the promises of the future. No, that's not it. Uh, they're just figures in the dream, and whose dream is it? It's your dream. It's uh-huh. your dream. And the only goal of your dream is, if you're the Kabbalist, to let the light through, to see the light where where it got, you know, blocked. If you're a Course in Miracles student, you know, the sole function of the miracle worker is to accept atonement for himself, um, uh-huh. accepting the holy the Holy Spirit's vision of it, not your own. Um, so that person by the water cooler, sure, don't get pulled in uh, because then you're lost within a dream of a dream, but. Instead, you know, step back, uh, you know, turn the whole thing over to Holy Spirit. Notice what comes up then. 
I always mm-hmm. go back to that story that Bill Thetford used to tell about a colleague of his who he just couldn't tolerate. And the, the guy, I actually do know the name of this person, but I won't share it. He was a fairly famous psychiatrist, and he would just be very gruff and brusque. And Bill yeah. meditated outside his office every morning. He decided, you know what, I'm just going to go outside his office and meditate in order to see this person as a brother. He didn't talk to him. He didn't invite him out to lunch or to church. He just, you know, had the intention that I want to see this differently. And at one point, the guy came up and started talking to him about Edgar Casey, And suddenly they had something in common and became good friends. There you um, go. You know, there you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Should we read on, or did I inspire yeah. more in you? That <laughs> yeah. No, just a quick comment, and then the next two paragraphs are kind of holding hands, so we can probably go through to both of them Beautiful. in one shot. Um, but just to just to encourage the audience that if you if you have a hard time looking upon somebody and you don't see the light and you can't help but look upon them darkly, hold them up to the light and I love and that. let and let that shadow disappear but hold it up to the light and ask the holy spirit explain this to me what is this for and and let the holy spirit do its job and we're going to go that's going to be mentioned as we move forward okay um whose turn do you want to read the next um, two so i'll read three and you read four uh, okay so this is paragraph three the body's serial adventures from the time of birth to dying are the theme of every dream the world has ever had the quote hero of this dream will never change nor will its purpose Though the dream itself takes many forms and seems to show a great variety of places and events wherein its, quote, hero finds itself, the dream has but one purpose, taught in many ways. This single lesson does it try to teach again and still again and yet once more that it is cause and not effect, and you are its effect and cannot be its cause. Mm, I love this. Thus you are not the dreamer, but the dream. And so you wander idly in and out of places and events that it contrives. That this is all the body does is true, for it is but a figure in a dream. But who reacts to figures in a dream unless he sees them as if they were real? The instant that he sees them as they are, they have no more effects on him, because he understands he gave them their effects by causing them and making them seem real. And here's where we really get a big grasp on cause and effect. You want to start yeah. from the top? No, um, why don't you dig in, because you're going the same place I was going to go with this. So okay. The cause and effect, that's, yep. Okay, so um, the hero, the quote, meaning its central figure, it, the purpose doesn't change. The world changes form, but the purpose is for us to, to grow into self-awareness and be part of the atonement. Um This single lesson does it try to teach again, that it is cause and not effect. We are the effect, so we can't be the cause. So what I did was, in the next paragraph, thus are you not the dreamer, I wrote the word cause above it. You are not the cause, you are the effect. And this is where I'm going back with that super imposition of other concepts over the words. So I'll reread it. Thus you are not the cause, but the effect, and so you wander idly in and out of places. I'll move on. Um, because he understands he gave them their effects by causing them and making them seem real. So we have to understand it's at the causal level that we create our lives. We're viewing the effects. We see 
our situations as the cause of our suffering. However, it's the other way around. And that, for me, is the crux of what that's saying. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, the great deceit of of the ego's world is to convince us that we are the dream, that we live at the behest of the dream, that there is this world outside that wreaks all kinds of havoc and can, you know, hurt us or heal us or help us, um, when, you know, no, we, we are the dreamer of the dream, um, which completely reverses it. The two lines, I guess, that I would focus on most are, um, but who reacts to figures in a dream unless he sees them as if they were real, you know? If they're not real, then you don't really have to react all that much. I mean, no, you know, don't go to sleep. I mean, don't. we don't have to pretend that all of this is so unreal that we stop living our lives, but there's a level of non-attachment in that. Uh, and then the next one, the instant that he sees them as they are, the figures in the dream, they have no more effects on him because he understands he gave them their effects by causing them and making them seem real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that this is very, very, um, you know, very, very key. Uh, it reminds me, actually, of a section that comes in the next chapter, um, in Chapter 29, Section 9, called The Forgiving Dream, where the, the, the Course kind of goes into an extended metaphor about um, dreams and nightmares and children's toys, Um, And it says just briefly, you know, you do but dream, and idols are the toys you dream you play with. Who has need of toys but children? They pretend they rule the world and give their toys the power to move about and talk and think and feel and speak for them. Yet everything their toys appear to do is in the minds of those who play with them. You know, if you watch children playing with toys, it seems very real, but they're controlling Mm -hmm. them. But they are eager to forget that they made up the dream in which their toys are real, nor recognize their wishes are their own. Nightmares are childish dreams. The toys have turned against the child who thought he made them real. Yet, can a dream attack? Or can a toy grow large and dangerous and fierce and wild? This does the child believe because he fears his thoughts and gives them to the toys instead. It's just kind of um, another analogy and that section goes on, there is a time when childhood should be passed and gone forever, that clearly echoes that statement, you know, when I was a child, I saw the world as a child, and, you know, paraphrasing the New Testament, but, uh-huh. you know, there's a time to put away childish toys. There's a time to wake up from the dream, even though you're still in it. We don't wake up completely, because it's really not our job. Our job is to wake up enough that as you were saying, Shar, that we can turn every situation over to the agenda of Holy Spirit, the plan of atonement, and let ourselves be guided in that way. And in that sense, you know, we're, we're fulfilling our, our special function. We're connecting with other dreamers, the other um, shattered fragments of ourself in the dream, who only we can reach. But uh. we do have to recognize at some level that if something really rotten or scary or upsetting has happened in our lives and it happens to all of us you know you should not feel any guilt or shame when that comes up it's an opportunity to simply go all right i don't know what this is for i don't know what this means help me help yeah. me you know, help, help me understand differently help yeah. me understand yeah and can we tell the listeners where you just read that from that was chapter 29 the awakening um, yes. 
Um, you know, I, I just flipped away from it, so let me uh, find it again. But thank you. Okay. I should have. Uh, it was the Forgiving Dream. So that section. Um, uh, oh, nine. There it is. Is it there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you got chapter it. Chapter twenty-nine, section nine, the Forgiving Dream. Right. That's it. Okay. Yes. Perfect. And just it was so, paragraphs four, paragraphs four and five, basically. Okay. Because I was looking for it, and I didn't want to be making noise flipping pages. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, we have a caller on the line with a question. Would you like to take a call real quick, and then we'll continue? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not we're area. not enslaved to doing this in any particular way. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm having a great time. Okay. Area code mm-hmm. five two zero. I'm bringing you live on the air. Welcome to the show. What's your name, and where are you calling? Oh, you know what? I'm just I'm sorry. I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Hit the number one on your keypad, and that'll take the question mark off because it looks like you have one, okay? okay? sorry. That's sorry. okay. All right, then. No problem. So, no problem. <laughs> okay, so, so everybody... Shall we keep reading, then? Or, yeah, just so everybody or, knows, when you hit the number one, it puts a blue question mark next to your phone number, and that alerts me to the fact that you have a question, but you can hit it again if you change your mind, which a lot of people do. Okay, yeah, let's move <laughs> on. I think we nailed that one. Good. So, paragraph five, how willing are you to escape effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? I'm going to read that again because it's such a strong question. How willing are you to escape effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? Is it your wish to let no dream appear to be the cause of what it is you do? Then let us merely look upon the dream's beginning, for the part you see is but the second part, whose cause lies in the first. No one, asleep and dreaming in the world, remembers his attack upon himself. No one believes there really was a time when he knew nothing of a body and could never have conceived this world as real. He would have seen at once that these ideas are one illusion, too ridiculous for anything but to be laughed away. How serious they now appear to be. And no one can remember when they would have met with laughter and with disbelief. We can remember this if we but look directly at their cause, and we will see the grounds for laughter, not a cause for fear. Okay. Should we just – that's pretty deep. Yes. Should well, we go, stick with five for now and then do six after we um, break it down? Yeah, do we do? could do that. Sure, sure. Because six has, you know, the, the, the great – Anyway, yeah, six has a classic Course in Miracles greatest hits line that um, that we definitely want to get to. So, yeah. but yes, this is deep and this is important. Yeah. So, you know, what 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 I'm focusing on here is that we think we we get lost in the dream because we don't remember we caused it. This takes me to one of my favorite um, teaching learning metaphors which wouldn't have existed even in the era that Bill and Helen channeled the Course, and that is the idea of virtual reality. It's sort of like saying you created, you crafted this amazing virtual reality world that has all of these people and all of these different, you know, storylines. You can be a fireman, you can be a politician, you can be a lover, you can be a conqueror. And we put ourselves in this great big virtual reality mechanism, and then full of rounds of playing in it, we forgot that it was a virtual reality mechanism. We forgot that we elected to come here. We forgot that we set up the dream, um, and therefore we feel like we are the effect of the dream. So what right. this section is saying is that 
if you're going to escape from the dream, if, escape the effects, and, and underline the word effects there, how willing are you to escape the effects of all the dreams the world has ever had? Notice, it's not saying just your personal bad dreams. It's saying anything in this world of illusion that's ever come to pass, how willing are you to escape the effects of that, that we can't, we can't address it at the level of effect. And this is one of the Course's you know, key principles, that we, if we think we are in effect, then we only address things at the level of effect, and we can't make any changes. <clears throat> you know, it's sort of like um, there's a, a river that's badly polluted, and we're going through that river trying to separate out every molecule of pollution that's there, an impossible task that takes forever. If we travel way upstream and find the source of the pollution, oh, now we can do something about it. We can stop the pollution there, and then everything downstream will be pure again. And if we go above where that pollution even happened, now that the water is absolutely pure. So we have to go back to the source of, of this whole crazy dreaming thing in order to resolve it and not be stuck at the level of effect. Um, it, it gets to um, one of the, the, the you know, more common lines in the course, you know, seek not to change the world, seek to change your mind about the world. Uh. Um, you know, you can't change the world at the level of the world. You can change the world at the level of your mind. Now, I think, you know, early course students hear that and they think, okay, I'll, 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 I'll think about the world differently. No, it's about this chapter, to change your mind about the world, to shift your perception of the world, literally means recognizing that perception as a dream and allowing Holy Spirit to work through you so that ultimately you're not even seeing it the same way. I mean, you know, on my better mornings, I'm looking around and everything is just suffused with light and it's 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 pretty difficult to get upset by anything. Now, uh -huh. you know, by late in the afternoon, I've forgotten all of that and I'm, you know, back to ah, oh, I don't like this and I don't like that. But um there is a vision that that really can look past and you know, the world starts feeling quite dreamlike. Uh yeah. but but you know, but we have to get back to the cause. So that's what I you know, that, that's what I emphasize in that paragraph five. That's perfect. I love it. All I want to do is say, okay, go to, we're in paragraph five, go to sentence two. Is it your wish to let no dream appear to be the cause of what it is you do? Now take the word dream and superimpose illusion so that it reads, is it your wish to let no illusion appear to be the cause of what it is, your, what it is you do? So what it's saying, is it your wish to... to allow the truth be the cause of what you do, and would you relinquish your hold on interpreting what you're witnessing through the ego and accepting that as truth? Then let us merely look upon the dream's beginning, there's the cause, for the part you see is but the second part, the effect, whose cause lies in the first. Um, no one asleep in dreaming in the world remembers his attack upon himself. I see that as what the religious sector calls original sin, sort of, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I've made this decision, I'm going to come into the world, um, and like I said, either last month or the month before, all of your wisdom is taken and, and put in the pocket of your subconscious mind, and then life is a series of remembering what you already know, so, yes. does that make sense to you, like the original sin Absolutely. aspect? Because I never got that thing. No, I think that is, you know, I mean... Yes, the, the the traditional religions would call that original sin, but 
you know, back to a deep sleep fell upon Adam and he never woke right. up, uh, you know, understood at the deep Gnostic level, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not disobeying God. It was, it was, it was eating, um, you know, a fruit that was poisonous that caused you to hallucinate. And in your hallucinations, you're seeing this whole world where there appears to be this dichotomy of good and evil mm -hmm. rather than only a unitary oneness of God uh, and Son of God and Son of God's creations and the creations of the creations of Son of God, etc., cascading outward infinitely in this beautiful, you know, um, explosion of love and light. That's all there is, is what, what A Course in Miracles is telling us. But, no, we fell into this little tiny bubble, uh, you know, where, where we now believe in the dream. And, mm -hmm. and we have to go back to the beginning of it. So if we read the next paragraph, we get one of the most beautiful descriptions uh, of, of, you know, of, of, of the separation and where it came from. One yeah. that just completely undermines all of the, um, the heaviness and, uh, you know, and the intensity of the whole idea of original sin. There you go. Okay. Paragraph Take six. it away. Okay. Let us return the dream he gave away unto the dreamer, who perceives the dream as separate from himself and done to him. Into eternity, where all is one, there crept a tiny, mad idea, at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. In his forgetting did the thought become a serious idea, and possible of both accomplishment and real effects. Together, we can laugh them both away and understand that time cannot intrude upon eternity. It is a joke to think that time can come to circumvent eternity, which means there is no time. Yes, I love it. I'm going to read the next paragraph, too, just because I think it, it, it sort of segues pretty neatly, and then let's okay. uh, talk about them. A timelessness in which is time made real, a part of God that can attack itself, a separate brother as an enemy, a mind within a body, all are forms of circularity whose ending starts at its beginning, ending at its cause. We'll come back to that twisted sentence. The world you see depicts exactly what you thought you did, except that now you think that what you did is being done to you. The guilt for what you thought is being placed outside yourself and on a guilty world that dreams your dreams and thinks your thoughts instead of you. It brings its vengeance, not your own. It keeps you narrowly confined within a body, which it punishes because of all the sinful things the body does within its dream. You have no power to make the body stop its evil deeds, because you did not make it, and cannot control its actions, nor its purpose, nor its fate. So once again, this is depicting... You know, the dream state where we forgot that we, we caused it. And, of course, that one sentence, Char, that, you know, you read, into eternity, where all is one, all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. Um, there it is, you know. So we, we, didn't, we, we didn't laugh. What we got to do now is laugh. <laughs> there you go. And, and, and we, have to, we have to look at the negative aspect and, and flip it over and look at its inverse, you know, not judge it by what, what you're seeing in the form it takes on the outside. The course references picture frames where you can change the picture, but the frame remains the same. If your thinking doesn't change and if your understanding of yourself and, and the idea of forgiveness and, and how it is, is your salvation that only you can give it to yourself because God's law is that giving and receiving are one. 
that mm-hmm. you can only grant that to yourself if you were to really look at your situations in your life and ask to see the truth. So in order to do that, we have to change the frame to really evolve naturally in response to those shifts in thinking and perception and belief. Yeah, and I want to, you know, um, the the beginning of of paragraph 7, a timelessness in which time is made real, a part of God that can attack itself, a separate brother as an enemy, a mind within a body. What the Course is doing here is kind of saying, yeah, you believe each one of these things, and yet from the perspective of timelessness, eternity, oneness, they literally cannot be. You know, it would be like saying someone here, you know, oh, it's a castle built in the air. Um, it's uh, an earthworm in the ground that knows how to fly. I mean, I, I'm not coming up with anything, you know, as, as, as good as what the Course is saying here, but each one of these is is an impossible paradox that if we really look at it clearly, collapses on itself. And, you know, sometimes uh, great writing, the writing itself will mimic what it's trying to do. So it gives us all of these, you know, this list of things which are impossible, you know, uh, timelessness that makes time real, God attacking God's self, a separate brother as an enemy, you know, a mind within a body, and then this, you know, all are forms of circularity whose ending starts at its beginning, ending at its cause. Mm-hmm. You try to read that second part of it, and you're literally spinning in circles. It does mm-hmm. make sense. It's saying that, you know, the ending starts at the beginning, back to that moment in time, in eternity, where, you know, the Son of God had this crazy mad idea, which he remembered not to laugh. And that to end mm-hmm. it, you have to go back to its cause. But the sentence itself is so circular and, 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 and so impossible to, the dis, to disentangle that it becomes in its own way like a little metaphor for the, the dream world that we got caught up in. You know, it's right. like you're trying to run and you got snarled up in these roots and you fell down flat on your face. <laughs> but that's the beauty of the, of the next few subsequent sentences because yes. it's telling you point blank. The world you see depicts exactly what you thought you did. So what we thought we did, you know, we invested it, we invested in the separation idea. That's yes. what we did. And we decided, yes. oh, you know what? I think I didn't learn the lessons I wanted to learn in my last incarnation. I think I'll give it a go. I'll go down to earth school, into that illusion with the separation idea, and try my hand at this again. So Exactly. Except that now you think that what you did is being done to you. The guilt for what you thought is being placed outside yourself, yada, yada. What it's basically saying is in that one act of the decision to come here and and be in a body, which makes you separate, because up there, the all oneness and wholeness and unity. But down here, we're, we're investing once again in this illusion and the separate, um, the separateness of our uniqueness, and then we project guilt for this decision out onto the world, and it's actually that guilt that attacks us and makes us the victim, not the world itself. The world is made of rubber. It can only bounce what you throw at it back at you, <laughs> right? That's an interesting reference. I'm rubber, yeah. you're glue. I don't know where that came from. But basically, yeah, I like it. project it out, and it, and it bounces right back into our face, and we cry the victim. So that's it says it point blank. You just kind of got to sit with it. And let it make sense to you. Let it sink in. Um, and then it brings its vengeance, not your own. So what I did was I underlined it to make it push it back so you can take a look at it 
meaning the world brings its vengeance, which is your own guilt coming back to you, not your own. And I circled that and wrote the word innocence. So we, we, what we're doing is we are not acknowledging the innocence within us, the innocence of our souls. We are not acknowledging the innocence of another, of a brother or a sister. We're acknowledging what we think they did, which is no different from what we did. And then in punishing them, we punish ourselves. And around and around it goes. There's that circular reference again. Yes. Over to you, Bob. You know, when we separate, when we made the decision that we wanted to be separate from oneness, from love, from eternity, that tiny mad idea, we actually believed that we achieved it. We gave ourselves a power that that isn't possible to have because at the level of the created being, you can't change the, the, the contours, the conditions of your own creation. Nonetheless, the mind of the Son of God is so compellingly powerful that it can believe what it thought it made real. So in our own mind, we thought we did something horrible. I mean, we're, we're kind of like a child who saw you know, someone get killed on TV and thinks that, oh my gosh, we made that happen. We did something terrible, and now we're going to have to punish ourselves, but we don't want to feel that we did something bad, so we're going to blame it on the TV, that bad TV and those bad people in the TV, and, and, you know, and, and, and we're going to you know, write letters and punish them. Another, this is the defense of projection. Um, several times in, in the text, uh, it, it, it says, projection makes perception. It's that idea that what we thought we did to God, we think we attacked God by separating from God, mm. was so heinous, so terrible, and riddled us with so much primal guilt, back to original sin, that we literally couldn't tolerate it. And without you know, being unable to look in that proverbial mirror, we simply projected it outside and said, all right, well, you know, we didn't do it. It's just out there, and now that guilt is coming back to get us. So mm. the whole world of perception, it is. It's kind of like this nightmare world where, you know, you did it. You killed God. You killed the Son of God. And now guess who's coming to get you? And you can avoid it for a while, but at the end, death is going to get you. And the Course is saying, literally, lighten up. See the light. See the light in your brother. See the light in you. None of this is real. There was this tiny mad idea. You forgot to laugh at it. You took it seriously. Therefore, you seemed to make it real. And because you still couldn't tolerate it and disentangle it at its source, you projected it outward and created this whole world of separation that then fragmented again and again and again so that instead of one being of light, now we've got seven billion and counting. And mm. it's just saying, go back to the source, and, and, and that's where, you know, you undo it. Um, you know. Right on. So shall we keep reading? Because um, I yeah, notice we're, the... we're at our hour, but I think if, I, I think we, if we you know, kind of uh, stay focused, we can probably get through the whole section. <laughs> yeah, we can do. I like the I like the two by two thing too because it's yeah. it basically says the same, but it kind of shifts it for to help you get a little bit of a perspective. If you hear it in a couple different ways, eventually you'll get it very clearly, not just in any one of three ways that it's said. So yeah, let's move on to uh, paragraph eight. eight. And you're up. <laughs> I'm up. Okay. The world but demonstrates an ancient truth. You will believe that others do to you exactly what you think you did to them. But once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. 
How Childish is the Petulant Device Your Innocence by Pushing Guilt Outside Yourself but Never Letting Go. It is not easy to perceive the jest when all around you do your eyes behold its heavy consequences, but without their trifling cause. Without the cause do its effects seem serious and sad indeed. Yet they but follow, and it is their cause that follows nothing and is but a jest. I love this. I do too. In gentle laughter does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and looks not to effects. How else could he correct your error who have overlooked the cause entirely? He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. You judge effects, but he has judged their cause, and by his judgment are effects removed. Perhaps you come in tears, but hear him say, quote, My brother, holy son of God, behold your idle dream in which this could occur. And you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his. Mm-mm-mm. Ancient truth. Since the beginning of quote-unquote time, this is the truth. That this world is an illusion. And we're going to believe, as long as we believe in separateness, that we have a right to blame others. And we don't see our guilt. And we don't see it being reflected back to us. And it's all an attempt to maintain our innocence. Innocence in the fact that I don't deserve to go to jail. Let's look at the innocence of the soul. And we push guilt outside of ourselves. And yet we cannot let that guilt go. And because we can't let it go, it's always in our hand. The minute we point to someone else and say, you did this, you know? Each time we point at someone else, we're reinforcing separation by projecting guilt outward, um, mm-hmm. which means that it's out there in someone else where we can't deal with it except through defense or attack. Defense and attack creates, you know, further um, separation. And now we're clearly marching backwards uh, rather than towards oneness. This is saying, no, turn around, look to the cause. Um, This is uh, workbook lessons 79 and 80 where it says, um, you know, let me recognize the problem so it can be solved. And it talks about there's only one problem for all the world's seeming myriad issues. I mean, sorry, there's only one solution for all of the world's seeming problems because there is only one problem. Uh, You know, and once you recognize it, it's solved, and the Holy Spirit is there holding it out to you in any, in any and every single instant. And mm. once we embrace that, I love this last line, you know, you'll leave the Holy Instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his, with the Holy Spirit's. Yeah, I love that because it is laughable to, you know, and, and the hard part is we don't know this growing up. I mean, until you, until this <laughs> book finds you, you know, and, and you go through all that confusion and the anguish, and um you know it it's really hard but to but to really understand this lifts such a weight off your chest and i wrote in the margins here you know what you think you did to them beside that i wrote push them away and viewed them falsely now i know there's mm. people out there who do do harm to us they you know their physical harm let's let's focus on body crimes at the moment when when people hit us or shoot us or you know we, we get hit by we, when something physical happens, and we and we experience physical pain at the hand of someone else. Um, you know that's that's one thing, but 
in terms of emotional or mental discomfort, you know, when we push people away and we view them falsely, that's adding to our confusion. And and we don't know that the cause is at, at the moment we, we took in our first breath, that, you know, we agreed to do this. So we really need to work with the idea that we're looking at a world of effects. Yeah. We cannot, we have to um, retract is the word we have to withdraw and retract the idea that the world makes us feel the way we feel. It's merely reflecting the way we feel. Yes. And I'll leave it you at know, that. Another um, sometimes helpful way to think about this, which isn't directly from A Course in Miracles, is that, you know, there are kind of two ways that we can get back to God. We can follow the laws of karma or we can follow the laws of grace. If we follow the laws of karma, and this presumes uh, the idea of serial incarnations and lifetimes, uh, you know, um, then every effect needs to be undone. You know, every perceived effect needs to be undone. Oh, I murdered someone last time. Now they're going to come back and I'm going to, you know, marry them and make them happy. Uh, and, and, and so, in a sense, at that level, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to pick the pollution out of the end of the river again. You know, you can do it, and, and it's the path that most of us are, are taking uh, before we come upon a teaching like A Course in Miracles. And, and it slowly but surely will move us in the direction of love as we learn to look on other people and other relationships from a place of that old soul compassion. But as A Course in Miracles says right at the beginning, its its main purpose is to save time. That time has dragged on, as it says in the Manual for Teachers, for a very, very long time. And this has come into our lives to say, hey, there's another way. There's a better way. You don't have to simply grind through the laws of karma you know, experiencing new things within the world of form that you think are valuable and following that path to the dead end and then having to undo it in the next three lifetimes, et cetera, et cetera. It's saying you can cut right through all of that, through Mm -hmm. grace, through the realization that when you go back to the source, when you go upstream far enough, you know, it's all pure. It it, it never happened. Uh, you know, you thought you created something that you can't create because you're not God. You can only live in your own delusion. Uh, so, you know, we have to first undo the projection of it outward and recognize that, you know, what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. The definition of forgiveness from the section in part two of the uh, workbook on forgiveness Uh, Uh That's undoing the projection. It sounds radical. What do you mean he didn't do that to me? I mean, I've worked with patients who, you know, were were raped and abused as children. And if I said to them, oh, well, you know, he never did that, um, they'd probably attack me. It's not that. It's realizing, okay, I have all these feelings. My goal is not to hold on to them forever. My goal is to work through it. My goal is to let go. My goal is to release. My goal is not to be stuck in this this world uh, where where I feel so powerless. Yeah. As as lesson, uh, what is it, uh, you know, um, 31 or 32. You know, I'm not the victim of the world I see. I have invented mm-hmm. the world I see. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. Well, and, and, and like it says, we look around and it's heavy consequences, but without their trifling cause. And I find the use of the word trifling very interesting, meaning it's just a simple misperception. So a simple misperception is the cause of all your anguish? Yes, 
This yes. one perception, as simple as it is, once you change it, then the shifts that occur are amazing because everything around you will shift. Um, exactly. And then, you know, we, we judge the effects, but it's asking you, it's telling you. Um, he bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. Now take the word effect in that sentence and write the word situation. He bids you bring each terrible situation to him that you may look on its foolish cause and laugh with him a while. Meaning, the cause of the situation that is causing you discomfort, you can't see the cause. You think you know what it is, but you don't. It's hidden from your view because of this, the idea of separation. So look at it with through the eyes of the Holy Spirit with him, and realize that where it's coming from is not what you think. And also a gentle reminder to everybody in terms of projection, um, there's that saying, what you put out comes back to you three mm-hmm. times stronger. So, yeah, the effects are, of but what we take punishment. are terrible. Exactly. It, it comes back three times stronger because it needs you to pay attention. Um, this is what I was trying to emphasize in in my book, From Plagues to Miracles, the hardships that come in, they're not punishment. Each one is an opportunity, a wake-up call to notice where you've tied a knot in physical reality, where you are locked into a projection that you are unwilling to see differently and choose once again. Choose once again. That's the beauty and the power of, uh, of A Course in Miracles. And it'll help you identify the patterns in your life. Then you hold that up to the light and say, what is the cause? Help me understand this. And the the Holy Spirit will step in. Do you want to move on to paragraph 10, Dr. Bob? Yes. Yeah. Um, I I think you're reading. (laughs) I am? Okay. The secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this unto yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this is still true. This still is true. Whoever takes the role of enemy and of attacker still is this, the truth. Whatever seems to be the cause of any pain and suffering you feel, this is still true. For you would not react at all to figures in a dream you knew that you were dreaming. Let them be as hateful and as vicious as they may be. They could have no effect on you unless you fail to recognize it is your dream. Period. Yeah. (laughs) This single lesson learned will set you free from suffering, whatever form it takes. The Holy Spirit will repeat this one inclusive lesson of deliverance until it has been learned, regardless of the form of suffering that brings you pain. Whatever hurt you bring to him, he will make answer with this very simple truth. For this one answer takes away the cause of every form of sorrow and of pain. The form affects his answer not at all. For he would teach you but the single cause of all of them, no matter what their form. And you will understand that miracles reflect the simple statement, quote, I have done this thing, and it is this I would undo. Why don't we keep and reading I, and go through the whole thing and then talk yeah, about it? Yeah, because we basically just explained it. Yes, we did. <laughs> we went through it without even getting to this, so that should make a lot of sense. Yeah, let's continue. We want me to take 12? Yeah. Okay. Bring, then, all forms of suffering to him who knows that everyone is like the rest. He sees no differences where none exists, and he will teach you how each one is caused. None has a different cause from all the rest, and all of them are easily undone by but a single lesson truly learned. 
Salvation is a secret you have kept but from yourself. The universe proclaims it so. Yet to its witnesses you paid no heed at all, for they attest the thing you do not want to know. They seem to keep it secret from you. Yet you need but learn. You choose, but not to listen, not to see. How differently will you perceive the world when this is recognized? When you forgive the world your guilt, you will be free from it. You will be free of it. Its innocence does not demand your guilt, nor does your guiltlessness rest on its sins. This is the obvious, a secret kept from no one but yourself. And it is this that has maintained you separate from the world and kept your brother separate from you. Now need you but to learn that both of you are innocent or guilt. I'm sorry, I'm going to read it. Now need you but to learn that both of you are innocent or guilty. The one thing that is impossible is that you be unlike each other, that they both be true. This is the only secret yet to learn, and it will be no secret you are healed. I'm just going to jump into that because reading it, um, it sounds very confusing. It's saying that either you and your brother are both guilty, because if you have guilt and you're projecting it out there, guess what? You know, your, your brother has it too. Or you're both innocent. It's not possible that you're innocent and, and he or she is guilty, or that you're guilty and he or she is innocent. It, it just can't work that way. And, and I love the idea of, you know, self, from the previous paragraph, salvation is a secret you have kept but from yourself. You know, it's kind of like uh, Rumi's line about an open secret. You know, it's there. It's right in plain view. We just choose not to look at it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I wrote underneath the bottom paragraph, I pointed to when you forgive the world your guilt, you will be free of it. It says in the preface on page 8, holding no one prisoner to guilt, we become free. So there's the reinforcement of that idea, and I wrote victimization of the world, not that we're its victims, like I was saying earlier. What the world we see is the effects of our thinking. So we are not the world's victim, the, the world is our victim. I hope I said that right. Yeah. Victimization of the world through projection of guilt makes you the perpetrator of your own painful experiences, is what I wrote. Yep. And you need but let it go, forgive it, and and get that secret. You know, get that secret out in the open. Bring then all forms of suffering to him, capital H, who knows that everyone is like the rest. So when we do that, when we don't differentiate form, this goes back to the very first miracle principle. There is no order of difficulty in miracles. You know, one is not bigger than any other. That when we recognize all of our problems are the same because they all stem from the one problem of separation and original guilt, then we're healing them at the source. And we don't heal them ourselves. You know, there's a place in the course where it says, you know, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you would be lost. You'd be stuck in your delusion, and there would be no way out. Um, However, it's not even worth thinking about that, because obviously there is a Holy Spirit. God would never allow uh, an aspect, a part of God, to be so absent. Uh, And so it did become cured. It it was healed in the instant that it happened, in that that, crazy, mad idea which we remembered not to laugh. But the way out the way to recognize all problems as one is to lay them all at the feet of the Holy Spirit. Bring all forms of suffering to Him. Um, there's a section back, I think, in Chapter 12, 
where it emphasizes, you know, don't hide anything from the Holy Spirit, because whatever you hide, you've made a judgment that it's either too good and you don't want to give it up, too special, or it's it's too bad and dark and sinful and shameful, and you could never, um, you know, let anyone know it's there. And the Course is saying, those are all just extreme forms within a world of form. Uh, a bad dream or a good dream, either way, it's still just a dream. Uh, bring it to the Holy Spirit. Bring everything to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and never forget that once we were all a unified thought of God. We just chose to be individuated on this plane to learn lessons Subjectively and collectively, we want to remember who we are. We want to we want to do it the hard way. So, the the road back to remembering who we really are—that we are all one—can be can be tough at times. But that is the goal. We are one, and pushing each other away in, out of rejection and blame um, reinforces the separation principle. And we need to rise above that. Like I said earlier. We want to get to a point where we're operating from soul level, from our higher mm-hmm. self. Rise above the illusion. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize when we are judging. Recognize that it is the effects of our thinking that we are witnessing and that is aimed at ourselves. We are doing this to ourselves. And then when we rise above the illusion, we can see it for what it is and make our choices accordingly. We can look at situations through the eyes of God. We can put it up into the hands of the Holy Spirit and allow him to correct our perceptions. That is his job. Once we do this, we can then look around and strengthen that spiritual sight that we that is the byproduct of studying this. And we gain strength in that spiritual sight and we look upon our brothers and sisters and our situations and we begin to see a glimmer of truth. It takes time. I hate I hate saying that. You know, it takes practice, I'll say. No, no, but it's but it's good to say that. It is because, you know, we think of, I mean, we think that the only inevitable thing here is death. Well, the Course says, you know, swear not to die, son of God. You know, you're the only thing in all the universe that isn't going to die. You know, your body will die, but you're going to come back again and again and again until you learn it. So really, the only sure thing, the only guarantee is salvation. And, of course, in Miracles makes the point over and over, it's already happened. It's already there. It's kind of like the whole thing has already been, you know, it, it's watching a, 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 a scary movie. It's already ended. You know, they've they've mm-hmm. walked away. You know, you you've they sur- the, the the protagonist survived. So it's just a matter of of saving time. How long do we want to struggle in the world of form, treating the effect as if it were the cause, as, as opposed yep. to overlooking the effect, looking past the form to the source of it recognizing all of our problems as one problem, turning them over and receiving, you know, God's answer in the form of the Holy Spirit and making that choice. And and as you said earlier, Shark, when we do that, this is the beauty of it. When we do that, it doesn't seem to make sense to the ego mind, but suddenly obstacles disappear. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is why the introduction to the workbook says you don't have to believe these lessons. You might even actively resist them. Just do them. Just do them, and they will show you that they are real. When we start following a path of truth, it's inevitable that truth begins to um, show up 
more and more within the dream, and at some point there's so much truth that, as the Course says, God takes the final step and we awaken. But yes, salvation's inevitable. We're all already there. We have all the time in the world to wake up, quite literally. But why wait? <laughs> why wait? And it does say in the Course, it doesn't matter to God when you do this. Exactly. Only that you do. So, and and speaking of death and awakening, we can those those two are in a sense we want to awaken consciously is is the idea. But there's a lot of, you know, philosophy out living a life and this is the thing. We're alive, we're in bodies, we're talking to each other. You're listening to this and you're listening to to a brother and a sister speak of God. Okay. But a lot of people believe that coming here and going through all these struggles in quote unquote earth school it's like this is hell, this is death, we're dead here. That when we die, when our physical body releases our spirit, we awaken, we come to life, we we return to the eternal life, that aspect of us that we never forgot. So I like to think of it as well, we, this is this is like a death, and then death is not to be feared, and it's not punishment, it's actually graduation. Into. Well, except that then it opens the door to that idea that, okay, all you have to do is die, and death is not salvation. I mean, because what happens is if we don't wake up within a, an individual lifetime, if we don't, you know, understand the teaching and embrace the laws of grace, then there is still, call it karma, there is still attachment. There are things you wanted, there are things you didn't want. And even though you, freed of your body, now recognize those as, as foolishness and, um, you know, what was the word of it? Trifling. Trifling. You've, you, trifle, yeah. You're still attached and you're going to have to come back and deal with it. Uh, come back in the sense of linear time. But in the sense of the fullness of time, we just have to undo all of that stickiness. So, yes. you know, death is kind of like uh, a time out in the middle of the ball game. You get to, you know, kind of look over your strategy. Well, how did that work out? You know, maybe we need to put this guy in at quarterback and take this one out. But it, it's not the end of the game. And the game, the dream, uh, the illusion will perpetuate until you have chosen to awaken within it. And at that point... Death isn't death anymore. Death is, you know, laying the body aside uh, because, you know, you used uh, the body well. It served its purpose. And now the mind that thought itself separate simply, you know, flows back into the oneness uh, of God. And gets um, reabsorbed. Mm-hmm. And gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Which well, scares I... the ego, but it's a wonderful place to be. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm loosening my grip on that fear. Okay. I hear you. Me too. This was right, wonderful. Good. We did a good job, yeah. and um, I want to remind everybody, I did not do it at the top of the show. However, Dr. Bob's uh, website is from plaguestomiracles.com. There you can read excerpts from his amazing book up by the same title. It breaks down the book of Exodus, the story of Moses, symbolically, and will really open your eyes to a new way to look at your problems and your trials or your plagues in your life. Uh, anything you'd like to announce or add, Dr. Bob, before we get to the prayer? Um, no, uh, I, I, I think, uh, I think we, we, we did, you know, we did good here. I, 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 yeah. I, I think this is a good format. And, and so I, I want to thank all of our listeners, um, past, present and future. And, and, 
you know, Shar and I have talked, we're going to continue this format for a while. I'm in the middle of preparing a major move and uh, life change. And, and so the idea of just taking a section of the text and working it this way, it allows us, paradoxically, the greater structure actually allows us to be freer in terms of, you know, where we go with it. So we don't know what section we'll be working with next time, um, but I can promise you it will be a good one and worthwhile. Yeah, and if you have any questions or suggestions, go to the websites, uh, again, from PlagueToMiracles.com or SpiritualInsightsRadio.com and use the use the uh, contact form to send in your thoughts, comments, and questions, and we'll be sure to address them on the air. Okay? You don't have yeah, to... If you have a, se- if you have uh, a section you want us to work on, let us know. Yeah, we have no problem taking requests, and we understand your need for privacy. You don't have to come on the air and, and bear your soul. Um, Absolutely but, not. But, yeah, just remember that if you do call in, you want only want to press the number one if you actually have a question. Okay? All right. Sounds good. So, blessings so to I, all. Yes, blessings to all. And um, I did what I normally do when I go to select a prayer, unless it jumps off the pages of A Course in Miracles. I take to a book called Choose Once Again, Selections mm-hmm. from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. Dr. Bob got me this for my birthday one year. And what I do is I wave my hand over it and I say, I ask, what passage do I choose this time? You tell me. Oh, nice. So I wave my hand. I always do that. I'm, you know why? Because I'm very impatient. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to sit and, and chew on stuff. I wanted to get right to the heart of the matter. And the answer was to start from the back of the book. And I flipped a few pages. And just beyond the uh, index... Just a few pages in is this prayer. Now, it's a little longer than the usual prayer. However, it speaks so eloquently to everything we just said. I'm going to read it in its entirety, okay? Well, that sounds perfect. I just want to, for those who aren't familiar with Choose Once Again, it's selections from the course, but these were Bill Thetford, uh, one of the course's scribes. These were his favorite selections. Um, So if you want, uh, you know, those parts of the workbook, uh, manual and uh, text, that Bill really just, you know, uh, grooved to check out Choose Once Again. So I am looking forward to hearing this. Yes, and if you don't have a copy of the course and you would like to study with us, uh, Dr. Bob, uh, they can go to the website and go over all the material. You can get it on Amazon. Just just make sure you get the combined edition because it has more more of Helen's writings in it. And, um, you know, I know there are people who would disagree with that. But the clarification of terms, which only appears in the combined edition, I, I think is an invaluable part of A Course in Miracles. Absolutely. And you know because you're on the board of directors. So <laughs> listen yeah. to Dr. Bob. Don't listen to anybody else. Okay, Dr. Bob, um, uh, I had a great time. I will talk to you very soon And because Indeed. we usually sign off right after the prayer, okay? Sounds great. Blessings. Okay, here we go. Blessings. This is on page 112 from Choose Once Again. Temptation has one lesson it would teach in all its forms, wherever it occurs. It would persuade the Holy Son of God. He is a body, born in what must die, unable to escape its frailty and bound by what it orders him to feel. It sets the limits on what he can do. Its power is the only strength he has. His grasp cannot exceed its tiny reach. Would you be this if Christ appeared to you 
in all his glory, asking you but this. Choose once again if you would take your place among the saviors of the world or would remain in hell and hold your brothers there. End quote. For he has come, and he is asking this. How do you make the choice? How easily is this explained? You always choose between your weakness and the strength of Christ in you. And what you choose is what you think is real, simply by never using weakness to direct your actions. You have given it no power. And the light of Christ in you is given charge of everything you do. For you have brought your weakness unto him, and he has given you his strength instead. Trials are but lessons that you failed to learn, presented once again. So where you made a faulty choice before, you can now make a better one, and thus escape all pain that what you chose before has brought to you. In every difficulty, all distress, and each perplexity, Christ calls to you and gently says, Quote, my brother, choose again. He would not leave one source of pain unhealed, nor any image left to veil the truth. He would not leave you comfortless, alone in dreams of hell, but would release your mind from everything that hides his face from you. His holiness is yours, because he is the only power that is real in you. His strength is yours, because he is the self that God created as his only son. You are as God created you, and so is every living thing you look upon, regardless of the images you see. What you behold as sickness and as pain, as weakness and as suffering and loss, is but temptation to perceive yourself defenseless and in hell. Yield not to this, and you will see all pain, in every form, wherever it occurs, but disappear as mists before the sun. A miracle has come to heal God's Son, and closed the door upon his dreams of weakness, opening the way to his salvation and release. Choose once again what you would have him be, remembering that every choice you make establishes your own identity, as you will see it and believe it is. Amen. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless, and be at peace.